All of the podcasts here at the Sideshow Network are now at the touch of a button on your iPhone and iPad. With the new Sideshow Network app, tune into all your favorite podcasts here at the Sideshow Network. Go to iTunes App Store, search for Sideshow Network, and download our free app to stream all of your favorite Sideshow Network podcasts at any time you want. The top comedians in the world are at your fingertips with the Sideshow Network app for iPhone and iPad. So you're thinking about starting a new website? Maybe you have a new small business idea and want to tell someone or sell something online. Maybe you want to show off your photography. Or maybe you want to start that new podcast. Ah, huh. <laughs> GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. That's impossible. They're always $99.99 or $12.99. They're $12.99, but right now GoDaddy's offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. On the actual internet or is this some BS sub-internet? No, no, this is GoDaddy.com. We all use GoDaddy.com. Everything I have is on GoDaddy.com. I know. And each new .com comes with a free instant page website and a built-in photo album. So what are you waiting for? I don't believe it. Get your website started today. I think it sounds like a scam. It can't possibly be true. GoDaddy's not a scam. They have... uh, uh, that hot check, Danica Patrick, for mm-hmm. their stuff. So it's not a scam. Plus, I use it for everything. It better not be a scam. <laughs> Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code FORK at the checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website. And you're all set to go. Fork you if you don't take advantage <laughs> of this incredible GoDaddy deal. I'm going to take advantage of it. To a fork on the road. This is show 18. I am Mark DiCarlo and I'm going solo today. The traveling diva is off working on a television commercial out of town, so it's all me. Luckily, we have some fantastic guests today. Later on in the show, food and travel international expert and writer Jody Ettenberg is going to be joining us. And in just a few minutes, my buddy John Hotchkiss, the producer of This Versus That show, which is a very interesting and funny show all about science. And we're going to be talking about airline travel. It's summertime. People are climbing on airplanes. And every year, it just seems like that experience, the experience of going to the airport and getting on a plane is worse than boarding Noah's Ark must have been. I bet you the Ark smelled better, was boarded more quickly, and was a more pleasant ride than some of the plane rides I've been on this summer. I don't know what it is. Maybe during the summer people fly that don't normally fly ever in their lives. It's just it just seems like every plane I get on, it's that scene from Godfather 2 where they pan down the side of the boat and it's just all the, the great unwashed immigrants staring up at the Statue of Liberty with their belongings in a paper bag clutched to their heart. And a donkey or a chicken. Yeah, it's, it's like that on the airplane. But I love people. Don't get me wrong. I love people. And I'm so happy that you're listening today to A Fork on the Road. iTunes number one, food and travel. Weekly explosion of fun. 
comedy and yumminess. Brought to you as always by EnviroTabs. You want to save 15% on your gasoline costs? A $2 tab in your tank saves you 15% on your gas mileage and it cleans your engines, cleans your, cleans your fuel injectors so you burn less gas. You get more power, which means you go farther on less. EnviroTabs, you can get those at markdecarlo.com. Click on the Road Raves tab. Also, um, we're having a special all August when you call or when you order my book, A Fork on the Road, 400 Cities, One Stomach from markdecarlo.com. We're going to be throwing in a coupon that gives you five days in Cancun for 169 bucks. That's right. Four days at a hotel, five days in Cancun, $169. You get that coupon free when you get a signed copy of my book from my website, which is markdecarlo.com. And you get to read the book. So you can buy the book, read half of it on the plane on the way down there, and then don't read it while you're in Cancun. You should be partying there. And then you read the other half on the way home. It is Cancun, Mexico, though, right? Cancun, Mexico, which is the only safe part of Mexico because geographically it's out of the scary parts where all the drug killing is going on because it's off the main beaten path, if you will. Because I have once vacationed in Cancun, uh, Colorado. Not the same. Not nearly the same. No, not the same bikini to person ratio. No. no. And the chimichangas and tacos are, quite frankly, terrible. In Colorado. Yeah, you don't go to Colorado for the chimichangas. So uh, that's going on. Also, check me out on the Huffington Post. I got my travel column there. Um, posted a piece last week all about uh, Firenze and the JK Place in um, Italy. That was great. And uh, every week, new show right here on iTunes, A Fork on the Road. We're all about travel and food and fun. And our co-host, I guess you're going to be a guest slash co-host today, John, because the traveling diva is out and can't make it today. This is John Hotchkiss, the producer of This Versus That television show. Uh, John and I did the show together uh, along with... Uh, Two other hosts who will remain nameless because they're not here. And um, we're going to be talking about airline travel. Welcome to A Fork on the Road, John. Mark, thank you for having me. Do I you appreciate en- it. Do you enjoy traveling? I The uh, act of traveling? You know what? If, if you can travel by uh, business class, uh, it is not like traveling at all. However, if you have to travel economy, as the vast preponderance of people do, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly, uh, there isn't – there's nearly nothing – that is worse than uh, traveling on a commercial airplane and having to uh, make reservations uh, and then get to the airport 17 hours early Mm -hmm. and then be stuck on the tarmac for 10 hours and then uh, be given food that, quite frankly, uh, Papillon might have passed on. You know what? This isn't... (laughs) I'm I'm good. I'm good. Right? I'm good. And they don't give it to you. They sell it to you now. Yes, they sell it to you. And is it too much for me? Am I being a dick... By just asking that people shower within 48 hours of coming to the airport, why do I always get stuck to the smelly fat guy in the sweats? who You could smell his butt from first class, and then he sits next to me. And why? Is it too much? I mean, am I, I being like a prissy people, guy? No, you're, you're, that's perfectly reasonable. And I'm going to tell you what's even worse. Coast to coast poop. That's what I smell when I fly. Here's what's worse, and I'm going to say it. Nothing is worse. No, one thing. To be on the plane next to the woman with the tiny dog. And look, Ugh. I don't dislike dogs for the most part. I dislike people that need a tiny dog. Exactly. And the idea that, what if I uh, had an allergy? What if I don't want to sit next to a yappy dog, right? 
so that's one thing I dislike. And then I also don't like that the seats seem to be getting increasingly uh, more narrow. Mm-hmm. And that in order for me to sit, I have to scrunch myself up in the fetal position, in some kind of upright fetal position, uh, because I'm broad-shouldered. And You're so, an Adonis. You're not fat. No. You're a broad-shouldered, ginger-haired Adonis. Yes, I'm both of those things. And so I don't like that. And you don't I, like being an Adonis? No, I don't like being squished in oh, the right, airplane right, right, seat. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of either of those things. And I think that somehow that every year what they do is they increasingly make the seats uh, smaller and smaller. Now, can I tell you something that I uh, discovered? <laughs> yes. You know, uh, because I, you're you're here because you're a travel expert, John. Yes. You have studied. Yes. Commercial airline traffic, and you have done scientific experiments yes. that we're going to discuss in a moment yes. that, that prove that this shit that we're throwing around here is not just opinion, it's actual fact. That is exactly correct. Right. And so uh, I'm just it, setting up your, your, I know, my your expertise. Yes. So I've done a lot of research uh, about uh, aviation, airline travel, uh, airline safety, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And here's one of the things that I recently discovered. Mm. Uh, and I discovered this because I went on a vacation with my family, my wife, and I thought, oh, let's use one of the discount uh, online uh, uh, airplane uh, booking uh, aggregators. And so uh, it turns out uh, when you book your seats with one of these, uh, several of these uh, companies. For instance? It, uh, I will tell you. It is, for example, let's say uh, Travelocity or Expedia. Right. Right. Uh, when you click to uh, register uh, the seat that you would like to sit in, it's only a suggestion. They are, much like that Seinfeld bit, they are taking your reservation but not holding it. What they are doing is, oh, you say you would like to sit in these three seats uh, by the plane, uh, over the wing, for example, yes. and then you arrive at the airport and you have totally different seats. That's because what they don't tell you is that your seats are just, you are indicating to them where you would like to sit. But they are not holding those seats for you. And so as you, as I discovered, uh, I had booked seats uh, three over the wing. And what we ended up with is uh, three seats uh, virtually uh, on the toilet. Uh, we were within an arm's distance of the two back uh, bathrooms. Right. And you can change your seats if you want to spend $59 or $19 or $58. They, uh, there are some major carriers that will actually charge you to sit with your family. Now, however, what you're talking about is true. If you go directly to the site of the airline, That's you different. can lock in your seats. You can but lock you're talking in your seats. Expedia, but you, Travelocity, Travelocity, any of those Hotels.com. Exactly. What you're doing is you're just making a suggestion about where you would like to sit, and you haven't confirmed those seats. And so in our, in, for us, for example, when we arrived at the airport, uh, we discovered that the flight was full, and so there was no other way to manipulate or move around. So we were stuck with the seats and it happened in both directions, where we thought that we had booked several, quite frankly, months in advance, mm-hmm. and it turns out that, no, they only, uh, you think that you've booked those seats and you do not have them. No, well, you should have thought of that before you had kids, John. That's what I would tell you. Well, even then, it wouldn't have mattered. Then we would have had only two seats close to the bathroom yeah, but if instead you're, of four. <laughs> but if you, if you and your spouse, if it's just two of you, you can usually wiggle and jiggle around and get someone to move a seat so that you know, your wife can get the middle seat and you can get the aisle seat. Uh, we're we're pretty I good suppose. at that, but moving for getting it's that's like a Rubik's cube of flesh, and that's yes. virtually impossible. Virtually impossible because and everyone else is in the same situation that you are. Everyone wants three on the wing. Well, yes, but also many of them uh, book their tickets through the airline's website themselves, right? As opposed to using one of the discounts. So although you, I might have paid a few dollars less, 
uh, it was made up for in the fact that uh, I got kicked in the balls uh, by uh, the airline themselves by having to sit metaphorically. Somewhere. Yes. Also, uh, it actually also happened, but unrelated <laughs> to the. It wasn't specifically the airline's fault. I mean, <laughs> I see. right? And so, but they were your balls, and they did yes, get kicked. Exactly. And so, yes. So, so how can we fight against this? How can we not get taken? There's. No, I don't know what you you can pay more money in advance and book through the website that is actually run by the airline. But if you are the kind of person who just wants to roll the dice and you're just happy to be on a plane going somewhere, then you might save a few dollars by booking on one of those uh, discount sites like Travelocity or Expedia. But you should know that your seats are not guaranteed. Although you might be booked on the flight, your seats you might be, as I was, uh, bathroom adjacent. Now, see, the people that you're talking about are those are the people that I think have never been on a plane before. They, they get a, the cheapest flight that they can. They, they book them, and they're going to go someplace. And literally, they get on the plane with a suitcase that looks like a coffin, and they try and jam it into the space overhead that is clearly too small. And then what kills me is the look of complete confusion that it doesn't fit. It's, it's a bag. And there's a space. It should fit. Why doesn't it fit? And they hold up 50 people behind them because they're too stupid to check the bag. But look, quite frankly, that is also the airline's fault by charging you to... Of course. By, by making those additional charges to... Uh, Ch for a luggage that's bag. going to go under the plane, they now uh, then... It's the law of unintended consequences. You charge me more to uh, stow my luggage, so I will bring more on the plane. And so what does that then do? That then now forces people to shove more crap into uh, bags that they also now can't carry, that they can't lift, that they can't shove into the overhead bin, which has likely been made smaller uh, to make room for, I don't know, Nothing, right. quite frankly. And I don't, you know, I'll just sit there. I won't help if it's if it's like a a, a lady or an, an elderly person. I'll get up and I'll I'll put their bag up there for them. Oh, but I thought you were going to put the elderly person or the lady up in there. No, no, that's how you crack a hip. Yeah. No, but if it's just some dude who's just overpacked right. his bag, I just sit there and mar and la laugh. I, I laugh oh, out loud. Yes. In in attempt to shame them into not doing it again. I like the mocking. I'm suffering now, so that people yes. I'm paying it forward, so that people on the next flight that this bozo takes won't have to suffer. I gotta say, that's what people love about you. Yes, I'm you're, selfless. Yes, you're selfless. Yes, you're decent and kind. Yes, I am. Now, I want to tell you about another thing that I discovered. That I'm decent and kind. Well, no, or separate I, from that. It's separate from that. Unrelated. Okay. okay. That in addition, you let's say you book your seats and you think, oh, look, I'm going to get the seats that are nice, that there's plenty of leg room, oh, yeah. and let's say in front of uh, the exit row. Right. Well, guess what? They the don't. seats in the front of the exit row don't recline. You can't recline into the exit row. Exactly. So you think that you're, you've you paid your money. You Let's say you even bought them on the website of the airline, mm -hmm. right? But it doesn't say that your seat isn't going to recline. And so now you're on that six-hour flight in the middle seat, and you can't lean back. Such a I know. I'm just. These are the kinds of things. I know. I, I think as I listen to myself, it sounds like I'm coming off as this prissy prima donna. But you know what? If you fly once a year, yeah. But if you're flying twice a month and you're uncomfortable at six, ten hours a time, it, it. I don't think I'm being prissy. No, I think that. We, look, the airlines have really. Uh, look in the big picture. Part of this isn't their fault, right? Gasoline prices to make their planes fly have gotten uh, incredibly uh, expensive, 
right? And so they they operate on thinner and thinner margins. And yet, it also seems to be an organization that's run by the little rascals, right? Like they literally they can't seem to some some airlines do yes. a great job. One I or think two. Virgin American does a great job. Yes, I happen to like them. They are the the uh, the onboard staff are great and knowledgeable, and they actually enjoy flying. Yes, uh, I think the people at JetBlue are good. No, I once no, I don't like no? JetBlue even in the slightest. Southwest sometimes uh, Southwest is good. Here's what I'm they have a say. sense of humor. Nope, I'm against the sense of humor. Uh, I think that you should be taking uh, the flying. I know that it's helped maybe their bottom line, I read, but uh, I want them to be incredibly serious. Uh, I, am precious, I am precious cargo, and I don't want them to be goofing around and putting on masks and talking with puppets like they're ventriloquists. Yeah, right? I, like that. I don't want any of that. I want them to be incredibly serious because uh, we're going to take a thing that weighs uh, several dozen tons probably more than that, quite frankly, mm -hmm. right? And we're going to fly it in the air. And uh, Well, they're going to fly them, it. We're just going to ride it. Well, they're going to fly it, and I want them to be taking it incredibly seriously. I don't want them laughing about it. Well, they do, but I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes people remember things better if it's humorous because then the message gets through. If it's the same boring thing about the seatbelts and all that stuff, you, you, no, you no, tune it out. No, no, I totally agree with you. You're, and you know you're saying, you're, you're saying the, the, the right thing. However, I'm just, for me personally, mm -hmm. I would like for the airlines to be taking their job seriously. Like in the same way, uh, I want the banker, when I go to the bank, to be wearing a business suit. Like he shouldn't be wearing spandex, uh, a spandex Speedo. What kind of bank are you going to? Well, it's, it doesn't matter, right? But in, you understand that I don't want First National WeHo and Trust. Yes, it's it's in a small town. It's from Encino. It's not a very popular bank, <laughs> and so uh, I just want them to be taking it seriously. Uh, and you know what? Quite frankly, if you're a grown up and you don't know how to latch a seatbelt, I don't think you should survive. You know what I mean? I, th I think that's that's you need to be culled from the herd. Yes. Oh, I, I, I'll tell you another thing that I discovered when I was uh, doing my research. I discovered the safest place to sit. Oh, in you mean front, back, middle, front, back, aisle? Front, middle, exactly. Let's say, right, they've looked at now a number of uh, airline crashes over the last uh, 30 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. and it's now, uh, uh, they're pretty sure that they, have, they can tell us exactly where you want to sit uh, if you want to uh, have more likelihood of surviving uh, some kind of catastrophic event. Okay. Where do you think that a person should want to sit if they want to survive a catastrophic event. Well, I think if you're sitting over the wing, you're in the part of the plane that is the strongest and the most supported, you're also sitting over a gas tank filled with gasoline. So it's a double-edged sword. It's an enormous, right? It's got like 12 gallons of gas, a little bit more than a Fiat. So yes, it's quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's a lot. So, I, but I still say uh, middle of the plane. I'd say over the over the wings. That is exactly correct, Mark DiCarlo. <sighs> yes, uh, you're much more likely to die if you sit in the front of the plane. Uh, slightly less likely to die if you sit in the back of the plane, and much less likely to die. Uh, if you sit in the middle of the Well, how do you know this? Are you just talking out of your ass? Nope. I did a lot of research, and uh, I discovered it. And I'm telling you that you can count on me. In fact, you can look it up. Uh, uh, there's a piece I wrote that's on the Huffington Post. You can look up uh, we John Hodgkiss. We the Huffington Post. How yes. cute is that? When I was uh, a little bit younger, when I was uh, a writer on a show called Politically Incorrect a long time ago, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I did was uh, work on some books uh, for Ariana Huffington. And so uh, I've known her for a number of years. 
And uh, so I write uh, periodically to help promote uh, the TV show that you and I worked on together called This Versus That. What a great show that is. Yes, it's a terrific show. Where, and, where can people see this oh, show? They can, uh, the thing I would like for people to do is they can go to our Facebook page and like us. Mm -hmm. And from there, they can uh, go to our website and our blog. And uh, we have a Twitter feed. And I think we're on Pinterest and Tumblr. But uh, at Facebook, you go to facebook.com slash this versus that show. And that's T-H-I-S-V-S that show.com. I'm sorry. Yeah, this versus facebook.com slash this versus that. And it's V-S that it's I, I always describe it to people as uh mythbusters on acid with three funny hosts uh well bradley uh, sherwood chris two, tallman and myself two funny hosts and, and one other guy yeah that's yes. how we say it. Uh, well let's 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 talk about one of the first bits that we actually did for the show okay uh what do you think is safer the life jacket or the seat cushion if you crash a plane in the water so one of the things that we did on this versus that which the thing that i tell people is it's a show that uh, looks at the science within arm's reach. It's about things that are literally going on right around us. And oftentimes we make uh, a decision to do uh, one thing and we haven't even considered that there might be a second option or that it also might be good. And so one of the things that I wondered about when I was thinking about the show was, God forbid if you were in a plane crash, which of the two flotation devices that are available uh, would be more likely to save your life, the seat cushion or the life vest? And so when we did uh, this experiment, we worked in something about the size of an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And in the ocean itself. And in the ocean itself. We also worked with a former United Airlines pilot who has uh, 30,000 hours of uh, heavy jet experience, a survivor of the U.S. Air Flight 1549 that uh, uh, ditched in the Hudson River. Sully's flight. Yes. And Captain Sullivan's the, flight. Uh, the cap and the chairman of the uh, thoracic surgery department from Cedars-Sinai. Because one of the things that happens... Uh, to people when they uh, crash is they end up in freezing water. Mm -hmm. And so we looked at what would happen, how quickly would you develop hypothermia? Right, if you're lucky enough to survive the crash, Correct. get out of the plane and into the water, yes. the water is what kills you. That's exactly That's correct. That's what killed the people in the Titanic. Give or take, over the last uh, 50 years or so, there have been about uh, some number of crashes and there have been about 800 people who survived those crashes. And of that 800 who survived the crash, about three or 400 people actually died in the water. So they survived. These numbers the do not include the recent Asiana crash. That is correct. correct right? That okay. is exactly that was correct. Three, yes. 300 people survived right. that That's fantastically. Exactly right. Thank you for pointing that out mm -hmm. and making me look stupid. No. no I'm John, you can't have, you can't, we, we can't expect you to be up to date on this stuff. No, you should. I'm supposed to be an expert. So anyway, so, but the, the problem is, is that people end up uh, dying uh, in the cold water. And uh, for and a number of reasons, Most, the number one reason is hypothermia. And so imagine if you had, if you don't know what hypothermia is, what happens is uh, very quickly, uh, your uh, internal organs start to shut down. You lose the ability to grasp, you lose the ability to think, you become disoriented. The oxygen is not flowing to your brain or your muscles. To your brain or to your muscles. And so you're very likely uh, going to die uh, very quickly unless you get uh, rescued. What's if, very quickly? Well. I don't want to tell you, I will tell you, I take it back. Look, if you were to be floating around in the ocean and you were holding onto the seat cushion, as a for example, uh, after three minutes, you would begin to succumb to the effects of hypothermia. Just three minutes. Three minutes, right? So if you were holding onto that uh, uh, seat cushion with your arms through it, in about three minutes, you would lose the ability to grasp it. So it would slowly and quickly, I'm sorry, it would quickly fall away from you. 
and then you wouldn't be able to hold on to it, and then within two or three more minutes, you would drown and die. So the seat cushion in that, in cold water, you definitely don't want that. Okay. On the other hand, the life vest can also potentially, people don't know this, can also be potentially problematic. For example, let's say you were to survive the crash and you were to put the life vest on. And you got to be in a great mood, first of all. If you're in the crash and you survive right. it, you're thinking, oh, thank goodness. I made it. I made it. This is, things are going to be great. Right. Now all I have to do is float here. Until CNN comes to talk to me. Right. Exactly. And now you're, okay, so now what happens if you are put the vest on, the life vest on backwards? What's going to happen to you? Instead of riding you and keeping your head out of the water, the inflatable device is going to tilt your head into the water and help drown you. Which is why you have to pay attention when the Southwest people are doing those funny announcements. That's exactly correct. You end up, during our demonstration, I think as you'll even recall, you were the host of the show. You were there. It's coming back to me now, yes. Yes. We saw people, we set up a simulation where people... Uh, we, we created an environment where we asked people to quickly put on their life vest and their seat cushion to put on their life vests. And we, we told them the announcement and they still pulled the life vest at the seat. And then we demonstrate what happens when you do that. You clog the aisle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you make it nearly impossible for yourself to see as you try to escape danger. In a dark, potentially smoke-filled airplane. Oh my, yes. Yeah, All, so bad. Then imagine another scenario. What if you were, if you had it on and... Uh, I didn't have mine on and I'm trying to, now I'm struggling to stay alive and I'm grabbing at yours. I could choke you to death. Or as you're leaving the plane, it gets punctured by some sharp metal object and then it right. and what then if, you drown. What if you're traveling with a woman who has on high heels and she jumps out of the plane, mm-hmm. right? Think about what happened when that U.S. Air Flight 1549 uh, landed in, in the Hudson River. Uh, the water that day was 41 degrees, Oof. right? So those passengers, incredibly lucky, because to be rescued so quickly, if they had been languishing more than three minutes in the water, they would have become, uh, many of them would have suddenly uh, been uh, succumbed to uh, hypothermia, and rather than all of them surviving, you would have had uh, many more casualties. All right, yeah, all right, so that's something good to know. So pay attention, I don't know what you can do. Can you use both? Well, What did we finally decide was the safest? Well, here's what happens. Uh, It depends on the situation, and the airlines, aren't required to have life vests, according to the NTSB and the FAA, you do not have to have a life vest on an airplane if it is traveling less than 50 miles off the, off the coasts of the United States. So for example, your internal flights, even though they perhaps might fly over lakes mm-hmm. or rivers, or landing at any number of the 25 or 30 coastal airports in the United States. Like SFO. Right. You do not have to have life vests on board, and so you would only have seat cushions. So in that case, you might only have that option. Now, sometimes the airlines, in an effort to make the scheduling of planes easier, might have planes that have both, right? But that would just be lucky, Mm -hmm. right? For example, the flight that, the U.S. Air Flight 1549 was a flight from Los, from uh, LaGuardia to North Carolina, right? It landed in the water. Now, it's just by chance that they had life vests on that plane. Ordinarily, that flight wouldn't be required because it's a domestic flight mm-hmm. and it flies less than 50 miles off the coast. Wow. All this negative, horrible things about yes. flying. And it even gets worse, by the way. Does I'm it? gonna t- Yes. It gets ever so slightly worse. Uh, I was traveling on Delta. Uh, when I was uh, went on this vacation, how cute is the redheaded lady in their in their video? 
I got to say, very cute. With the big cheekbones and the oh, smiling. Oh, so nice. You know the girl I mean? Right. And the way they I shoot have no that. no idea. Really? Nope. I can't recall. Oh. I wasn't paying attention. Oh, my God. She's she's an actual steward, an actual right. flight attendant from Atlanta. She's got really high cheekbones, red hair, big teeth, very smiley. And they shoot the uh, that particular safety video is shot very stylishly. It's my second favorite. Virgin America is my favorite because it's a cartoon. And and because it has the word virgin. In it. Right. But you actually pay attention because she's cute and informative and uh, very nice. So that's one of the reasons I like Delta. So uh, I discovered uh, when I was speaking to one of the flight attendants on Delta mm-hmm. that uh, they no longer provide additional warm cookies. So they find out now. What? They, yes. They find out exactly how many people are flying in business or, and first. And if there are 30 people, they only send 30 cookies. She said that uh, six months ago, they would send 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 percent more cookies that the uh, stewardess, that the flight attendants could uh, either eat themselves or pass out to uh, customers who were behaving uh, on the flight who weren't sitting in uh, business. It's a nice first. little perk. As a nice perk, exactly. Now, she said, they find out precisely and there's no extra cookies. <sighs> So is this the world we want to live in, John? The terrorists have won, Mark DiCarlo. I mean, we the terrorists have won. We can't. You know what? You can't even aspire. Every time we fly somewhere, Yenny always literally every flight we get on. If we're not in the front of the plane, if we're in coach, she spends the hour at the airport cozying up to the people at the gate and being cute and talking to them and then saying, you think you might be able? No, ma'am, we can't upgrade you. There's 15 people on the list on the wall that are waiting. Oh, I thought. And then we get on the plane and she keeps trying it. I'm like, baby, those days are gone. You can't just sweet talk your way into first class anymore. But There's 60 guys on the board waiting for their number to come up. By the way, Yenny is the woman whose job uh, I'm now currently doing, right? Oh, yeah. By yeah. the way, how am I doing by comparison to uh, Yenny? Sonically great. Yes. Visually, eh. Do, does the audience know that she is your wife? Yes. Or is that they, a secret? That was a secret until just now. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, no, I just was thinking that, you know, if I could do a, a Spanish accent, that perhaps I could be the... You barely can have an American accent. You're pushing it. We're going to be running subtitles with this. The, the fact that... Don't even try that. That'll kill you. Uh, yes, everyone knows that we're married and uh, that she loves to travel as well. But she's she's a nudge. She's a first-class nudge is what I call her. And she always tries to get the cookies or whatever they're giving out. If we go someplace and there's a goodie bag, she wants the goodie bag, even though there's nothing good in the goodie bags anymore. Yeah. All right. So yeah. uh, can I tell you one more time about our show, This Versus That? You know you were the host of it. I was. It's, and am. And am. You still are the host. That's exactly right. And it's uh, it's a show that's all about the science within arm's reach. And it's uh, the kind of show that people, I think, who listen to your uh, uh, podcast here about travel, it's the kind of show that they would be interested in. Yes, they would, because it's inter- it's interesting, it's informative, and it's it's I think it's hilarious. And it's about things that they genuinely wonder about. Like, what's better, dogs or cats? What, right. Which is which is smarter? What's uh, what's the fastest way to navigate through uh, rush hour traffic? Zipping and zipping and zipping, or just picking a lane and going? Exactly. What's what if you had what if you lived in a hurricane zone and you wanted to get a new roof on your house? Do you want one with a very gentle slope or one with a very steep slope? How do you get blood out of carpeting? How do you get the blood out of carpet? By the way, I know how to do it. So do I. I was yes. there. Yes. Oh, I yeah. forgot. Yeah, yes. I was actually you in the, the show. Host of the, you're the host of the show. Yeah, you I was there. there. Yes. And so it's the kind, and the show is 100% 
independent. It is not uh, paid for or underwritten by uh, a broadcaster or any advertisers. We're 100% independent. We are not beholden to any corporate uh, entity whatsoever. Overlord. No corporate no overlord. No corporate overlord. We do the whatsoever. show we want to do. That's exactly correct. And because of that, we're able to do things that the audience wouldn't be able to find anywhere else. Seriously, you have not seen an experiment like our Life Vest versus Seat Cushion experiment anywhere else on any other program. Because why? The airlines spend billions of dollars every year uh, advertising on your network and cable programs. And right. so there would be no way that they would allow uh, this kind of program to exist on their airwaves. However, because we are streaming the show on the internet, we are exempt from federal government regulations. We have no corporate overlords. We can do the kind of experiments and reveal the kinds of things that have been denied the audience previous. Right, which is also why we did the piece on what's a better car to drive, a hybrid, a electric, or a gas car. That's exactly and correct. And you can find that all out at the Facebook page, which is what again? You want to go to this ver- facebook.com slash this versus that show, and it's T-H-I-S-V-S that show. So we've been talking about all these depressing, horrible, yet true, yes. nudgy things about traveling. Yes. Luckily, there are still great things to do about traveling. There's I great things think of in, one. Oh, you know what? Seriously. I've been to Europe and there's nothing to do. Oh, you know what? Then you need to start traveling with our next guest. She's traveled all over the world and she goes places just to eat the delicious food. And she's here with us today on A Fork in the Road. Let's welcome Jody Ettenberg. Welcome to the show, Jody. Hi, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. You're here with uh, myself, Mark DiCarlo, and uh, the cranky traveler, John Hotchkiss. <laughs> now, you are you are far from the cranky traveler. You you have a very interesting story. You have, you have an interesting story that probably every set of parents is just shaking their heads at. You were a successful <laughs> lawyer in New York City. And then uh, did you finally realize that you were doing the devil's work? No, it's actually, I think that's a common assumption and one that I don't fault people for having it. I think it reads that way uh, from the outside. But what actually happened was that I took the job in New York in part to save up money to travel. I, I went to law school in Canada, so tuition was a lot more reasonable than it often is in the States. And I was offered a position at a firm in New York, um, and I long wanted to travel, so I thought that I would work for a few years and then take a one-year sabbatical and then return to the practice of law, which uh, obviously did not happen. So you've been gone, what, five years from law now? Right. April was five years. Wow. So you were able to save up enough money in one year working as a lawyer to support your travel Jones for five years? No, no. This has turned into a whole new career for me. After that first year of traveling, um, basically a year and a half, two years. I saved up enough to do two years. Uh, on my site, I've got a big world travel resources page, and I link to all these other people who've put together spreadsheets of budgets, and they range between you know ten to 15000 for the year all in. So I basically saved enough to do two years of travel, and, and then I started receiving offers for freelance work, and then it turned into doing some social media consulting and started doing public speaking, and then I ended up 
writing a book about food last year. So things sort of progressed organically, but I wouldn't say that I'm traveling right now. Um, I am in that I live in far-flung places, but what had happened is that it became a new line of work for me, um, and I'm having a lot of fun, so I'm just following it to see where it goes. Isn't that the greatest when you can take a passion and turn it into a livelihood? It's true, and I think there's this sort of um, misnomer that you can go out and just wait for an epiphany, that it's going to hit you in the face, and that you're going to suddenly know what to do in life. I think if you push yourself toward the things that bring you joy and the things that you're passionate about and sort of keep your eyes open for what happens along the way, that's a far more uh, reliable path than expecting this sort of epiphany of your purpose, which rarely happens in that case. Oh, geez, I agree with you. You could could totally tell she's from Canada, John, because she said a boat. (laughs) <laughs> I thought my accent disappeared, but I've been told this weekend that it has not. <laughs> what, uh, what part of Canada are you from? I am from Quebec. I'm from Montreal, but English is my first language. That's a beautiful city. So um, you're a Canadian lawyer who is now a travel professional. And, and do you, what, um, what, what motivates you? What, why do you travel? Is it the interaction with the local people? Is it the sights? Is it the food? What, what really uh, gets your Jones going? So the business card I have right now says uh, author, traveler, and soup expert. And I put soup expert on there in part because I think people take themselves so seriously at conferences and it's a fun thing to throw in. But when people say, what do you do? I, I say, I eat soup. And they're like, what does that mean? And to me, that sort of embodies all the things I eat soup because it connects me to people around the world. You know, food as a tool to learn as much as possible about places and about history um, and really kind of dig under the culture and and spend time in places. It's just the prism and the lens that I chose that gives me the most uh, from where I visit. And and then conversely, I, I like writing about it and sharing it online and bringing that back when I come back to North America in the summer months to do speaking work and things like that and try and advocate um, this kind of connective tool that other people can think about food differently and get them excited about learning in a different way. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, my favorite soup is, uh, I believe it's a Vietnamese, I, I think some people think it's pronounced pho, but I asked the guy, I believe it's pronounced pho. Is that, do mm-hmm. I have that right? Right? That's right. And, it's like, it's it's pronounced pho. Right. Pho. Mm-hmm. And it is, I got to say, it's magical. Uh, it's, uh, if you've never had it, you get a bowl of very nice hot broth that has a, a variety of different uh, spices and things mixed in. But then on the side, you get all sorts of fresh vegetables and meats and herbs and noodles that all then go into this big bowl of steaming hot, uh, uh, d- the most, like a rich broth. And, oh, there's almost nothing better. And you put it in yourself? Uh, or they put it in for no, you? No, no, no. They give it to you, and then you can uh, adjust the amount that you would like. For example, uh, there's mint, perhaps, or uh, something. You can, might, some people might like a little. Some people might like a lot. Then there's a, ver- a variety of different kinds of noodles and uh, bean sprouts and uh, a meat or a fish. And uh, it's, it's more than just soup. So it's like a sizzler salad bar of soup. Oh, it's fantastic. It's my favorite What's really- soup. What's really interesting about what was just described is that uh, so pho is actually the name of the noodle. It's not a name for soup in Vietnam. It's the name of the noodle they use in the soup. And a lot of the pho's we get in North America are what uh, was just described, which is Saigon-style pho. The original soups are from the north in Hanoi, and there's none of that accoutrement. When you get your bowl, you get um, the inside already chopped up 
um, sometimes basil and sometimes uh, cilantro, but you're not going to get a giant plate of things. You'll get just the chili sauces and lime to put in. Um, but that adding all those extra things are, are often in the South. And that's the kind of thing that I love to write about is to talk about the history of countries based on how they eat. So, for example, that soup from Hanoi, you know, moved its way down south to Saigon. And so there is so Saigon and so Hanoi, and they're very, very different based on how people moved around uh, during the different colonizations of the country. Yeah, it's really it's really true. I, I uh, did a show on the Travel Channel for five seasons all about food mm-hmm. just here in America. And you, you, you make a good case that you could tell the history of a culture or of a city or of a region solely by what the people eat, because it tells you where they are in the ecosystem. It tells you the social strata. You know, the rich people get the good cuts of meat and the poor people eat the chitlins. It tells you uh, you can't everyone's got to eat. It's it's the great equalizer. And you can if you kind of backwards engineer the history of a people, you can learn a lot by uh, their recipes. I uh, was reading. My daughter is uh, in six was in sixth grade last year. And I read about uh, the land in China. And uh, I learned, uh, for example, why uh, they uh, eat so much rice. It's because uh, the land is exceptionally fertile and uh, along the water, uh, along the Yangtze and Yellow Rivers. And so they had a lot of uh, water areas. And what grows well in water, it turns out, is rice. Right. It's also cheap. It's also easy to transport because when it's dry, you can take a lot. You can move it around better. And it sustains people longer. It's easier to grow than meat or cows or protein. It, it serves a lot of purposes, and they got a ton of people over there, from what I've heard. And as, yes, they do, and that's part. And then I also discovered when I was in New Orleans this uh, spring uh, the same thing that the French who came and settled there originally were growing rice, and uh, that was part of the need to have uh, extra workers, which ended up being slaves, because it was very labor intensive, because that's what they were used to uh, growing back home. Right. Well, and the topography, too. It's swampy right. marshland. That's, that, right. So that's what I'm saying. Exactly. So you travel all over the world and you're just you, you focus where you're going to go based on what you want to eat or, you know, what what how do you put your pin down for your next trip? Sure. I think I think it is it, it merits separating out between the first few years, which really were around the world trip in the sense that a lot of people are taking them um, now where I started in South America and then worked my way to South Africa. I went up to take the Trans-Siberian trains, spent time in Asia, Australia. You know, that wow. those first few, few years were truly that is what I quit my job to do is just sort of do around the world trip and, and explore and experience. You traveling by yourself? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, you meet people pretty easily. I started out with another lawyer, um, and we traveled together for about two and a half months. And then uh, she went to India, and I went up to Russia. But usually by myself. Uh, at this point, I think with technology being what it is, it's so easy to meet people. I end up, you know, in Saigon, there were 20 of us that were hanging out a lot, eating soup together, you know, sitting on the streets, eating snails at three in the morning, talking about life. And um, I think... You with the hostel set up for backpackers, it's so easy to meet people doing what I do now, which is kind of stint as an expat in different places. It's very easy to jump into the local expat community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, diplomats or teachers necessarily. It just means whoever is there, social media allows you 
this sort of sliding in sideways ability to just randomly go somewhere and connect with people. And that is easier done than it would have been, obviously, uh, before the advent of that sort of technology. So I tend to choose the places now um, that it's a business for me uh, based on what I think I want to write about um, and eat about and eat during the winter months. And then in the summer, I plan the months back in North America around family time. And I've done quite a bit of speaking about social media and community building in North America. So that's sort of become a vague, the outlines of a routine and then the specifics year by year kind of come into play as the year unfolds. Wow, that's great. So you travel during the winter months, you accumulate all this new knowledge and new insights, and you synthesize all the different cultures together, and then you get paid during the summer to share your knowledge. You're kind of like uh, Diane Fossey or uh, the Leakies or like the old-time explorers who Well, no, I get... I get paid uh, all year round. I don't, I do freelance writing all year round. I will be leading uh, food tours in Vietnam when I go back uh, for my readers who want, who basically said to me, can we please pay you to feed us? Uh, so it'll be just small groups of readers like, who have been asking for this. Um, and I do partnerships with some travel companies and work with them to write for their sites and jump on some of their trips too. So I actually, uh, it's a full year round income. I'm not um, just running off and exploring and then coming home, although uh, that sounds very fun, more fun than perhaps what I'm doing. (laughs) But what it is, is is legitimately uh, just from a full year perspective, trying to stabilize income in the new media where it's not as, you know, consistent as when I was a lawyer, obviously, Uh and building out the brand that I've put together without sacrificing integrity. So for me, that means no advertising on the site whatsoever, which I don't have any at this moment, and I don't plan on having any, and not taking sponsorship from like text links or the like. Instead, I've built out the income based on long-term partnerships with companies I really enjoy working with and really just putting it all back in the site and sharing what I've learned with uh, a community of readers who just seems to keep growing, which is really, really fabulous. And That's what's, great. Uh, uh, what's your favorite soup? Ooh, good question. I love um, Bun Ryu from Vietnam, and um, I dream. I literally dream of it. It's a crab and tomato soup. Um, they've got mm. sometimes pork in it as well. It's with bun noodles. So for being a noodle, bun is also a noodle, and it's a thin vermicelli-like noodle. And uh, it's from the north originally, but I I grew to love it in the south where I was living, and they often take these mini crab and pork meatballs and then put them back in these mini crabs that are that come out when the rice paddies flood and you get the mini crabs in your soup with you with your noodles it's fabulous it really is and one of my no, favorites you, you said you were talking about budget a little while ago you you can live a year on $15,000 and be traveling that's yeah that was my first few years that's how i traveled were you hosteling yeah. it how did you how'd you she, do that however she was in uh, hoboken and trenton <laughs> <laughs> that's it uh, and uh, some of the lowlands low uh, travel right. in quotes yeah. right exactly <laughs> i went to every think, part of I new jersey i, right. Are you I think with i the... spent twelve thousand my first year um i that includes flights and visas and everything wow. I, I don't i didn't spend time in europe for starters um and i spent only two weeks in australia because what fascinates me and what fascinated me then is that kind of built-in chaos that you get, and not in a romantic way, romanticizing it, uh, but just I love the idea that I'm sitting on the floor of a market somewhere eating, and some there are farm animals running around, and just the chaos of moving around in countries where sort of these bustling morning markets are a huge part of life. So 
those often are the cheaper places, Bolivia, Ecuador, um, places in Southeast Asia, and staying primarily at guest houses or hostels, depending on where. I mean, a lot of Southeast Asia and uh, that in Indonesia, the guest houses are not hostels in style, but they, they're sort of private rooms, which are extremely affordable. Wow. What a, what a fascinating life. Now, let me, let me ask you this. You, sure. you, uh, so many of the people that are listening to this and that, that just live regular lives don't travel. They'll maybe right. go to a different state. Their entire lifetimes, they're going to spend pretty much, you know, where they are right now. I just mm-hmm. found my buddy Sal doesn't even have a passport. He's a grown up and doesn't have a passport. Oh. Um, so you, you, you have an education and a, a point of view that very, very, very few people living today have. So let me ask you this. In general, you've met people from all these different cultures, all these different countries. As a race... Is humanity doomed or do we have a chance? Actually, it's really funny. When I met with a bunch of lawyers I used to work with in New York this past summer, one of them asked me, you know, do you think you become more or less cynical after these five years of travel? Which I thought was a great question, as is yours. I think that overall people are better than we realize in that on a one-to-one basis. Because all I, we see it, on the news is all this horrific right, stuff right, because right, that's right. what, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. We, I get that. That's what sells and and fear sells. I think on a one-to-one basis, people are much more generous of spirit than I realized. I am bowled over by the generosity of the people who have invited me into their homes, invited me to weddings, you know, just shared their lives with me with no other reason other than they they wanted me to understand more about their life. Right. Um, That said, you know, I think seeing the, the endemic corruption in many countries, both here and afar, you know, on a top level, it's hard not to feel more cynical about the way that countries are run. But I think on a person to person basis, I have much more faith in humanity as long as, you know, we're allowed to let that thrive. And I was wondering, uh, where do you come down? This is a long, uh, de- a long held debate, certainly here in the United States. Uh, where do you come down? Uh, uh, Manhattan clam chowder or New England clam chowder? <laughs> Now, so I've actually, it's a I've hot got button issue. This is the thing I've that got, people are talking about. On, on Twitter tonight, you'll type hashtag uh, Manhattan clam chowder and you'll see that it will be trending. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is all <laughs> that people are talking about now. Well, unfortunately, um, I have celiac disease and I've had it for over a decade. Um, I was diagnosed. I would say I was diagnosed before it was cool. Uh, to be gluten-free. So gluten. I legitimately can't. They put flour most of the time in those soups, and I can't have them. Uh, I would love to try, have a, a chowder off. Can I say, you're I not missing anything <laughs> if you eat New England clam chowder. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying milk, milk for the most part, for the most part, not in all cases, but shouldn't be the main ingredient in a soup. I don't mind that you add a little cream to a tomato bisque, for example, right? The ratio is probably 85-15 in terms of tomato and then cream. But uh, right. Man- Manhattan, but New England clam chowder is about uh, 90% uh, milk, and uh, it leaves you all phlegmy. And well, to, you bring yes. up a, a good, this question brings up a good point, which is part of why I keep returning to Asia as opposed to other places. I would love to go to Central Asia and really explore, and I would love to return to China and really explore, but soy sauce has wheat flour in it, and a lot of the breads that are so fabulous in Central Asia 
are obviously not something I can eat. So part of why I keep going back to Asia is not just the cheap cost of living, which is great, uh, but also that I could eat all the food or most of the food. All right. And what about, uh, do you have an opinion about uh, Italian wedding soup? Oh, back when I could eat noodles, I loved, that was my favorite soup, actually, really? for, for lunchtime. When I was working as a lawyer, whenever they had Italian wedding soup at the nearby soup place, I was mm. very excited. So, correct, uh, do you want to, can you remind uh, people what, I forget, uh, Italian wedding soup will be broth, and then uh, what else? There's little meatballs in it, and it's chopped up herbs uh, and some noodles as well. It's peasant food. Because what you're doing with soup, with soup in general and that kind of stuff is you're sure. taking the little bit, of, little bit of protein that you have, you're stretching mm-hmm. it for a whole big family. And that's trendy now too, right? I mean, not just sure. being gluten-free, but peasant food, if you think of, if you look at some of the restaurants now that are really big in Istanbul and other areas, people are rediscovering in the newly found middle classes these peasant dishes that were like fava beans. You know, people in the UK are starting to rediscover that fava makes fabulous hummus. But for years, they exported all their fava because no one wanted to touch it. It was peasant food, and now it's trendy again. Well, I, I, Jody, you, you are just fascinating as all get out. <laughs> and I think you must lead a fantastic life. We would love to, uh, I'd love to have you on the show periodically. Like every time you go someplace cool, have, you know, check in with you and uh, find out what you've been eating and where you've been going and uh, have you share your stories with us. Where can, people, where can people find you on the Internet and follow your travels virtually? Uh, I'm... My site is called Legal Nomads uh, because I was a lawyer and I also, it's mostly long form narrative about food and travel. And I also have a series called Thrillable Hours on the site where I interview lawyers doing fun things. Thrillable Hours. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. So it's Legal Nomads with an S dot com. Uh, I'm also Legal Nomads on Twitter and the Facebook fan page is the same. And I will be announcing the dates for the food uh, meetups in Vietnam that will be starting on January 1st. So people oh. can actually come to Vietnam and meet you there, and then you will kind of be their culinary food guide as you take them around Vietnam? Sure. There was an article recently in the New York Times called food, about food Sherpas, of which I don't really like that name, but it's the same idea that sort of having someone to take you to the markets and into finding the dishes that you might not otherwise find. Just a three- to four-hour tour. Uh, my readers Just, just like Gilligan's asking. Island. Asking for it, and uh, I figured if if they're asking to pay me to to share my knowledge, I'll be thrilled to do so. So I'm looking forward to it. It'll be small groups of six people, and just taking them into the sort of less touristy markets of Saigon, and and teaching them about some of the foods and how they got to be in the city. Fantastic. And I was I have a question about one more soup. Another uh, debate that's what raging. is it with you and soup, John? She's a soup expert, and he's I just taking to like advantage. Soup. He's taking advantage uh, of having me here to settle debates. Exactly. What's happening? I, like, I happen to like soup as well. I mean, well, soup I is good food. We can all agree on look, that. Look, I, I admit that I like it. It's not on my business card, and I'm, <laughs> it should be. Put right, it on your business. That's what card. I'm saying. I'm considering it. So now, uh, maybe the people who are listening, uh, you'd have to get rid of the car detailer. There'd be no space. <laughs> There's a big debate uh, uh, at Passover about uh, matzo ball soup, and uh, mm-hmm. if you have matzo balls that are sinkers or floaters. Now, so uh, sinkers, uh, 100% you, sinkers. You like a sinker? I want the matzo ball that I could, and again, I can't have them anymore, unfortunately. Oh, but right. I want a matzo ball that I could, like, I might need to use a knife for. Mm. Interesting. See, I'm the op- the exact opposite way. I like mine to be fluffy. And to, to well, we're not floaters. all perfect, you know? No, no, I'm not saying it's fluffy. I'm Stop pissing off our guests, John. I'm not saying, it, I'm not saying that it uh, makes one Yes, you just said perfect. she was a horrible human being. 
That, that's the that's the subtext. This is the problem why there can't be peace in the Middle East. <laughs> this is exactly no floaters. Yeah, floaters and, so, and sinkers. No, no. That uh, there are some people. That's what's great is that you can find a, a, a food or a soup, for example, that some people like one way and some people like it slightly different, and both of them are delicious. Although, uh, matzo ball, so it tastes al- too Jewy to me. Although I will say that a sinker, in terms of a matzo ball, is not good. Because it's too dense? It's too dense. That's exactly correct. But can't you kind of break it up a little bit? Nope. No, it's done. Nope. Not if your grandmother made it. Good luck. Right. Yeah. Well, Jody, it has been, it is, John's uh, diatribe notwithstanding, it has been a, a joy and a pleasure having you on the show. I think you, uh, you have a great thing going there. It sounds fantastic. And uh, we're going to follow you and hopefully you can check in with us from Vietnam. That would be great. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. That, Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. That's Jody Ettenberg from LegalNomads.com. She's also Legal Nomads on Twitter. And uh, if you're hungry and you like to travel, I think you should follow her as well. Thanks, Jody. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you have it, John. We've done our first episode without the traveling diva and i must say that your your stewardship was well received even though you pissed off jody uh, that's not true i want to say that uh i you got her hackles up and she's such she's a canadian you know how hard it is to piss off a canadian it's virtually impossible i want to say that i was impressed with my deep knowledge of a variety of soups right on the spot <laughs> yeah oh right? no i always say people say what's john like i'm like well He's kind of a douche, but man, he knows soup. You uh, ask him about soup, broth, stew, any kind of wet food, the man is a genius. Uh, also, I love soup plantation. <laughs> I want to say I've never been to soup plantation. You I know actually, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I guess I know what it I is. I think it's horrible that they make those people work like that. I just should set them free. <laughs> yes, yes. Boy, Wow. Uh, so I want to remind people once again about the terrific show that uh, you hosted <laughs> called This Versus That. Uh-huh. Uh, that they can see there are six one-hour episodes that are available uh, on our website. And the best way to stay in touch with us is to like us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash this versus that show. And go over there, like the page. And from there, you can navigate to our uh, website, to our blog, we have a Twitter. We have Pinterest. Lots of funny Tumblr. content. Oh, there's funny content uh, almost every day uh, and uh, little bits of information uh, that people seem to like. For example, uh, do we have time or should I wrap it up? Yes. I can't decide what he said. So uh, we, one of the things that people uh, seem to want to know is can you, if you uh, were having uh, marital relations with your pregnant Spouse, mm-hmm. could the man uh, poke the baby, the unborn baby, in the head? And so this was a very popular post that had uh, I worked on a, on actually a slightly different program, but I was able to take some of this material and demonstrate to people uh, the answer to that. And it was on the Huffington Post homepage for five days in a row, wow. right, which I've never seen before. Baby poking is so popular. Yes, that is exactly correct. And so this versus that. Did Ariana you know, like it? 
Well, I didn't know. Maybe, uh, perhaps. And so that was, again, one of the things that was something recent that seemed people seem it's to be It's what people think about and they go, gee, I wonder. Exactly And correct. you go out and you get the scientific answers for all these ponderings. That is exactly correct. Things that people genuinely think about in their regular lives. And they wonder and they go, hmm. oh, that's interesting. I wonder what the... But then they don't have time to do it. If only there were a show. If only there were a show. Hosted by Mark DiCarlo, Chris Tallman, and Brad Shore, two of whom... Are hilarious. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, two of whom are hilarious. And we have gone about and answered the questions that people have that they genuinely think about. And uh, we provide them information that could save their life for real, <laughs> that will save them money, and that will save them time. And, and uh, stop their baby's head from being dented. Oh, yes. And also that. And so, you don't want dick marks on your baby's forehead. <laughs> by the way, you don't. I'm just saying, but you don't want that. Oh, look how room. cute. Oh, <laughs> dick marks. You don't want that, John. No, you don't. No, you do not. And so, again, these are the kinds of things that people think about. It's real. Uh, the thing that I called it, it's the science within arm's reach. And uh, it pits two things against one another. You might uh, favor one. Uh, and not the other, and it turns out the other might be the thing that might either save your life or save you money or save you time. There you go. There's John Hotchkiss, the executive producer of This Versus That Show.com. Like him on Facebook. We also talked to Jody Ettenberg today, the, 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 the nomad. The Le legal, legal nomad. Legal nomad. She's traveling all over the world eating, and she's what, what a fascinating life she must lead. I, I, I get to travel, and I don't get to go to wild places like that, but uh, I've got a lot of trips coming up. I'm going to be hosting the Festa Italiana in Chicago from the 24th and the 25th of August. That's a huge, huge Italian festival in Chicago. Food, music, drinks. I'm going to be doing my comedy show there. I'll be going to giving away trips to Mexico. It's going to be fantastic. That's the 24th and 25th of August. It's, uh, what's the website here? FestaItalianoChicago.org. You can find out more information about that. I'm also going to be hosting the National Buffalo Wing Festival on the 31st of August and the 1st of September. Yeah, that's right. That's BuffaloWing.com. We will have 50,000 people around a kiddie pool filled with ranch dressing and a bunch of drunk college kids bobbing for wings. It's my favorite thing every year. Would it kill you to mention thisversusthatshow.com? While you're at all of these, oh, events. I'm gonna wear the t-shirt. Oh, I'm gonna wear the t-shirt. I'm gonna get you some more. So that's that's Labor Day weekend in Buffalo. That's buffalowing.com. Uh, the next weekend, I'm gonna be at the Toronto Film Festival from the 5th to the 8th of September. Then it's Taste of Union City on the 14th of September, which is in the Bay Area of California. And then uh, what am I doing? Oh, the 27th and 28th, we're in the big Italian festival right here in Los Angeles, the uh, San Gennaro Feast on the Jimmy Kimmel stage right there in Hollywood. My band's playing Friday night. Old Blues Eyes. Old Blues Eyes. I'm gonna be hosting the show Thursday and Friday night. Lots of great Italians in tracksuits there. Lots of great food. That's a really, really, really fun party. All my East Coast friends, they sniff at me, turn up their noses. Oh, an Italian festival in Hollywood. It's going to be stupid. No, it's as silly and, and goombay and hilarious as all the Italian festivals back east in Chicago. It's a really good time. That's the last week in September. Then the 5th of October, the band's playing at the La Dolce Vita Festival in Laguna Nigel. Then we're going uh, to Comic-Con in New York the next weekend. Then I'm doing Taste of Philly on the 18th of October to the 20th. A lot of travel for me, but it's all food-related and it's all here in America. So hopefully I will see you somewhere down the road. 
I want to thank my co-host, my titular co-host today, John Hotchkiss from This Versus That Show, and of course our other guest, Jody Ettenberg. My name is Mark DiCarlo, and we will see you at a fork on the road. <laughs>